You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, which means Women's Wednesday, all things ladies. Now, today we have uh, some special guests with us. We have Tylena, Frankie, and Zeke, who is not a lady, but uh, has a great story and it just all ties together. So, uh, Frankie, thank you so much for, for coming in today. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Yes, so now you have a a pretty interesting story as far as ministry goes, and I I would love to have you share that and tell our listeners more about it. Yeah, so, um, hey guys, Minister Frankie here, and I run an organization called Shine His Light Ministries. I'm a street minister, and a lot of people don't know what that means, so... Street ministry is where we take the church to those who may never make it into a church. So today we're going out to the Bluff. The Bluff is known as the largest open-air drug market in the nation. And we go out there and we shine his light. So we shine his light in the darkest places like Skid Row, south side of Chicago, the Bluff here in Atlanta. And we go to those folks, the prostitutes, the alcoholics, the addicts, and we show them love. We show them um, unconditional love like Jesus would. So we're kind of the um, hands and feet of Christ like we're supposed to be. I, I love that. That's incredible. And now let me ask you this. Have you always been a religious person or um, were you raised in, in a different kind of household? Like how did this all come about? How did you come up with this, this idea? Yeah. And and I didn't really come up with an idea. Um, I was called. So um, Christ called me a few years ago, probably close to four years now. And I was uh, before that, I mean, I was a prostitute, an addict, a drug dealer, um, recruiter. Uh, I basically worked for the devil for a good part of my life. Um, And I lost my fiance to suicide. My daughter was three months old. My son was four years old. And at that point, um, then I was basically um, found out about Christ. I found out he could love you no matter what you had done. So I thought I had messed up too far. I had gone too far down the rung. I was, you know, used up, trash. I believed all the things that people said, right? Um, But I was told by somebody that Jesus could still love me. You still have a shot with Jesus. Jesus doesn't care. He'll forgive you. And so, wow, that was a turning moment. And so I gave my life to Christ then. That was about 15 years ago. um, And I stayed in the woods. I stayed really focused on my children and on learning the word for probably about 10 years. And I got the call to go to the streets and I, we just went out to the streets. We took what we had. Um, he told me, do whatever you can wherever you are with whatever you have. And that's what I've been doing for the last three or four years. And it's brought me to amazing places in front of amazing people. We've saved thousands of souls. We've fed thousands of people. We have um, entertained because I do music and I write books as well. Um, and so we have just really reached the masses and I now have an outreach in Africa as of this year even. So we are shining his light officially all over the world. That's amazing. And, I mean, tell me more about your most memorable experience doing this. Obviously, this has been over the last, you said, like 10 years that you've been doing this. Mm -hmm. So is there one that just stands out more so than others that you can tell us about? Well, when we were on the south side of Chicago, you know, um, a lot of people don't really go there and hang out and um, certainly don't go and hang there at night. But uh, God 
gave me clear direction, you know, in in the Bible, it, it tells you clearly, and people may, you know, tend to not believe that I hear his voice, but I do, and you can, and other people can, because it says clearly in the Bible that my sheep will hear my voice. So we do. So I heard a clear direction, go to the south side of Chicago, and of course, when God tells me go somewhere, what do I do? Put on my backpack, we're going to suit up, and we're going to go. Well, so I went out, and so I do a lot of Facebook, like we're on Facebook over there right now, and um, we're live, so I do a lot of the social media stuff. So, of course, I'm on the camera a lot of times. So I'm walking down through south side of Chicago. I don't even know where I am. I don't know the street. We didn't have a plan. It was just go out there and do you know what you can with what you have wherever you are. And um, so we have the camera out, you know, scanning, and, and you scan this trap house and everybody out there and everything. So I had just gotten them on camera. Not a good thing and not a good look, right? So, you know, ooh, that wasn't smart. So so anyway, nobody was happy with Frankie at that point. Nobody knew I was a minister. Nobody knew I was from Atlanta. Nobody knows me from Moses. They just know this is some white girl walking around with a camera trying to video them in the middle of the night. What's she doing here, right? Hands up. I said, I am Minister Frankie. I am here with Shine His Light Ministries. I just want to pray for y'all. And I walked in, and I'll tell you this, that drug dealer who was running from the law and he had gotten caught with probably 10 keys or something i mean a heavy hitter um and running the house there and everything by the time we left the people that were threatening me he was in tears and he was crying and we were having a prayer circle and we were praying over him because he was scared of going to jail anybody i don't care how tough you are when you're facing 20 years in prison you're scared you're calling on the lord so what i find when i'm out there is that sometimes those people are closer to God than uh, you know the people sitting in the church every Sunday because they need Him, and they may die every day they wake up and go to the streets. So they're calling on Christ. So wow. yeah, so that was a pretty interesting. <laughs> that was a pretty interesting event. Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, for somebody to just burst out into tears like that, and and having just everybody, I can just see it like everyone holding hands and you just you just talking about it, and it, it almost seems like this this sense of something that people may have never even felt before just came over everybody mm-hmm. and you just knew. That's so true. So now obviously that was a scary experience at first and then turned into something very positive. Um, is, is Are there other experiences where maybe people weren't so susceptible that you can tell us about? I mean, what happens, and we were talking about this, you know, um, Zeke just started going out to the streets with me and started ministering. We were talking on the way over here because the last couple of times he's went out, we were under a bridge and we were serving in um, Robert, somebody I know who's out on the, on the you know, under the bridges living, kind of muscled his way through. We didn't know why. And turns out the guy was holding two razor blades in his hand and, and Robert told us another guy got in the van with us when we were taking people to um to the freezing shelters you know in atlanta when it's below freezing and um they give them somewhere to stay and so he had a gun so and i don't want people to think that's the normal you know with us or whatever and that you know we're out here trying to get hurt or something that homeless are like that because they're not uh, most of the homeless people that we encounter wonderful souls wonderful people right yeah. wouldn't you say that zeke mm-hmm. yeah yeah, um, a lot of it's mainly uh, mental disorders or um, you know lack of you know familial support. Um, sometimes it's not really knowing the tools 
or have, having the tools, not knowing how to use the tools, and being in that situation of houselessness, you're not really uh, open to uh, the opportunities that most people would be open to. Because if someone looks at you being a houseless person, a lot of people are like, who's this guy? Who's this girl? She might smell a little off. Um, so they cast their judgments before uh, the opportunity is able to present itself. Mm-hmm. All the time. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you mentioned Atlanta. You've mentioned Chicago. Um, are you constantly traveling? Are you in one place for a specific amount of time? Or is it really for events? Um, what is What does the travel look like? So <clears throat> mostly I'm here uh, in Atlanta. I live here. This is home base. Um, but I go, like I said, wherever God calls. You know, Skid Row last year, Brooklyn last year, and New York. I have some people up there with uh, Street Ministry Life. Um, I'm going to be in Jacksonville. we got a big, huge outreach event. If you're in or near Jacksonville or just want to come down from anywhere you can uh, we'll have a large outreach event there March 14th at New Dawn Outreach Um, and so those events they're huge events we have rockers and rappers at this one so we'll put on we'll always have entertainment usually it's rap because I'm kind of uh, plugged in in that industry and um, ties with the street so we have a holy hip hop concert huge outreach give out food clothes health checks um, HIV checks um, you know energy health help with your bills, resources, different things, um, and usually serve about 500 at those. So so it varies. Wherever God calls, if God calls me to Alaska tomorrow, we'll be packing our bags. That yeah. would be a yeah. pretty interesting <laughs> yeah. travel story there. A little bit different than the weather here in Atlanta. Well, the streets are bad. Call us out with Alaska. Let's go. Oh, Look, my gosh. We will, yes. So, so we go. We, we, we suit up and go as needed. And, of course, on my dream list, but it's very expensive, you know. And so, of course, with the ministry, we don't have a lot of funds or, or things. So everything is shoestring budget. But we do have the outreach team in Africa now. So that is a dream for us to get out there um, and see Pastor Stephen Orani is our leader out there, our ambassador of Shine. And he has a team of about 20 that go out to orphanages. Um, everyone in the orphanage um, are HIV positive. All of the kids are. Um, goes to the prisons, just saved 16 men in the African prison. Um, and he goes to the streets out there. And it's certainly different than what, I mean, our poor are rich compared to mm-hmm. over there. So that's a dream. That'll be an expensive trip, but we're praying and believing that we'll be able to go there. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Now, you, you talk about this this team that you have. Obviously, we've got Tylena and Zeke with us here today today um but you've got you've got to have more people a part of this so um what what does that look like what is what is the size of this team of yours well i mean when i like in chicago i was by myself and i went skid row by myself i met people out there so i have connects all over the country and all over the world for that matter um and connects within ministry and then light shiners i call them i have different light shiners and so the light shiners are the people so i may have zeke and talina with me today i may have Pastor Eddie, Pastor Fane, another day, whoever wants to plug in. But when we go to the streets with this, I'm not a ministry in the sense where we're going to show up Sunday, dress up nice, and sit 
around and, you know, praise Jesus. And it's not predictable. And so you don't have the same people all the time. But the team, I call my light shiners. That's anybody that supports us, anybody that shows love, anybody that donates, anybody that comes out to the streets with us. Everybody doesn't come out to the streets because it's not for everybody. So, you know, some people aren't comfortable with that. Um, But the people that have been to the streets that know that, most of the people that go to the streets with me, they've been on, I've lived on the streets. So I know, you know, what that's like. I'm basically just going to revisit the people sober that I was hanging out with when I was high. Okay. Now, this, I had done, um, I actually had an experience when I was in college. So I um, first minored in nonprofit leadership, and we had actually taken a trip we called the Chicago Urban Plunge. And so for a weekend, we had gone in and um, volunteered at a couple different um, homeless shelters and actually helped um, paint some walls just to brighten up a place a little bit. And we had packed the bare minimum of whatever we wanted in a suitcase and we actually stayed uh, at a church and slept on the floor Mm -hmm. Um, having the least amount of stuff we didn't get to bring our suitcase I literally have a suitcase so big that I could fit into it and I'm about 5'1 so (laughs) fairly large suitcase but just just having a backpack and and packing the littlest bit possible um, I just was curious what do you take on these trips and and where are you staying? But um, we are going to cut to a quick break, and everybody stay tuned so we can hear a little bit more from uh, Frankie, Tylina, and Zeke. This is Women's Wednesday, and I am Taylor with America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, ladies and gents, we are back. This is Taylor with Women's Wednesday on America's Web Radio. So today we have Tylena, Zeke, and Frankie here. And we were just touching on the travel and and going from Atlanta to Brooklyn to Chicago. Um, I had experienced um, a volunteer trip and um, we again packed the bare minimum I had a really flat pillow and hardly (laughs) a sleeping bag you could call it and we slept on a church floor and we lived on the bare minimum and when I say bare bare minimum I mean like coffee grounds in a cup and just pouring hot water and I don't know about you guys but I've got to have my coffee in the morning so that was not flying but other than that it was an incredible experience and and I truly enjoyed every second of it it was really liberating and now when it comes to you guys traveling um are you booking plane tickets or are you really just in a van going from one place to another do you have a bunch of stuff packed up or what is what does that look like paint us a picture 
I have a saying, move fast, pack light. Because we're like going it. in and swords up, we always say that. But so, so it looks different every time. That's you know, our ministry doesn't look like other ministries uh, because it is all on God's call. So sometimes we're traveling in a van. Sometimes I'm jumping on a plane and just me going somewhere to speak or to preach or to shine His light. So, um, so it you know it, but it's always. You know, we've got more stuff that I'm going to give to people than I have, and and when I do those events and things like that, yeah, I don't I don't eat all day, or you know, uh, don't really get bathroom breaks. You don't do anything. You're kind of when I'm on the streets that I'm walking in the spirit, and if anybody's walked in the spirit or had the spirit on them. And so I'll have long periods of walking in the Spirit. And when I am, then He's guiding my steps from wherever I'm going to go. So I don't even know what it's going to look like when I get there. I didn't know I was going to run into the drug dealer that I did. I didn't know in Skid Row that I was going to get threatened, that I was going to run into the people that I did, that I'd make those connections. So if I let Him just organically lead things, that's when I make connections like with Tylena, with David even, with Zeke, with you you guys, anybody... They're, they're all brought to me. You know, people will say, how did you meet that person? Nine times out of ten, that person was brought to me, and I call it Kingdom Connections. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he leads everything. So, it, you know, there's no um, one way that it looks mm-hmm. or a set That's way. remarkable. Now, obviously, this has to keep you incredibly busy. Um, is there anything else that you're doing outside of this? You had mentioned a book. Um, I mean, what... What is family time, friend time? What does it look like outside of the ministry? Zeke's laughing because that's funny. But uh, downtime, I mean, I don't get a lot. I I get downtime when I sleep. Um, I stay really busy, but I'm encouraged and um, I'm used daily in his work. And so I'm grateful for that. My friends and my family, thank you, Jesus, that they understand. They, They know the mission. And they know the mission I'm on. So if I miss birthdays or if I miss Christmas, because we served 2,000 people on Christmas, so I didn't see my family. My daughter was with me, but um, my mom. But, you know, I talked to her. She knows I love her. She knows I was with them in spirit. But she knows my mission, and she knows, you know, what I'm doing. So she wholly supports it. So so you don't get a lot of that. Um, but... What you do get is you get, you know, you're out here, you're saving souls, you're seeing lives changed, um, you're following God's lead, so you're in it, and it does keep you busy when you're saying yes to God, because God wants us to use all of our gifts for His glory. So God doesn't want us to leave anything on the table, and I don't see why we should. So God wants us to use all of ourselves without complaint and without victim mentality, and um, He wants us to charge ahead and be bold and go out into His field of battle and and shine his light and so so you don't get breaks you don't don't get downtime a lot and um i mean i'm okay with that i'm okay with that yeah and the book i'm glad you mentioned the book excuse me but the book is so exciting it's a new book uh surviving suicide and it's um, going to let people, allow people like Tylena to tell their stories of losses and attempts. So now, what is your take on this before we go into Tylena's? Because I absolutely want to hear more about your story. Um, would you mind just kind of touching on on a little bit more about your take on the book? Yes. And so uh, the reason the book came about, and it, and it took me years 
to be able to talk about it. I lost the love of my life um, and my daughter's father in, uh, you know, about 15 years ago. She was three months old and we were supposed to be getting married, um, but instead I was burying him. And he was 27 years old. He took his own life. Just give me chills. It's horrible. (laughs) And um, it was brutal. And I had a four-year-old son, um, three-month-old daughter. Uh, You know, I couldn't. I was, you know, bankruptcy, DUI. I was about to get kicked out of my $700, you know, apartment. Uh, My car wouldn't go in reverse. I mean, I was bad off $2 to my name or something. Just in a bad situation, you know, and and God came into my life and he showed up. And now you look at my life and you look around and you look at my children, you know, and I'm sober so many years and I got multiple cars and multiple houses and I've got money in the bank account and I've got so much love in my life and so many families, so many friends and um, the support of so many running a national worldwide ministry. You know, who would have thought? So, so surviving suicide is about surviving suicide. And, and when, I say you can, I mean it, because I didn't only lose my fiance, but I heard those words when I was in the hospital of somebody telling my mom, she's not going to make it this time. She took too many pills this time. She is not going to make it. And I'm hearing that. And they were talking about me. And I attempted. I tried to take my life so many times I can't even count when I was younger. I haven't since he passed away, because I won't leave my kids with only one parent. But I tried to take my life in multiple different ways many times, so I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to hurt that bad. you got to hurt really, really bad to want to leave this earth and to take your life yourself, especially when, you're, when you've come to Christ and you know that in the Bible they say that is a carnal sin, that is a worse sin. But, you know, our veterans, we were talking about them a little bit earlier, and they take their lives at alarming rates. Suicide is now one of the leading causes of death in teenagers, along with cancer and auto accidents. Ninety people during this segment, this is an hour-long segment, during this segment, 90 people will take their lives. Mm. So when I hear those numbers and I start seeing that, and my friend, one of my great friends, lost her 16-year-old daughter to suicide. When I start, when I go and speak at a church and somebody tells me they lost their 12-year-old to suicide, what in the world? So I've got to do something, and I've got a voice, and so I'm going to use it. Even if it's a small voice, use your voice and speak out about those things. And Tylena is one of those victims. She lost her father to suicide. So, Yeah, I did, and when we talk about suicide, it's like the um, when the survival mode, the instincts kick in. So I've lived on both sides. I, um, I was telling Frankie I battled you know, suicidal thoughts for seven years. And and I, every time I woke up the next day, I said, you've got to be kidding me. You know, and then a whole other day starts over where it's like, I don't, I don't want to be here. And I, I would be better off. Everybody would be better off without me. And, um, you know, just don't have that self-worth. And, and I never in a million years thought that one day I, my father would commit suicide, who, if he said pick a thousand people, he would never have been on that list. And then... Like you said, I bury my father, and I never have that thought again because I'm I'm now looking at the grave of somebody I should have never buried, you know, never. And I didn't want my kids to feel that way. So when you really think about the things that happen on both sides of that, how you hurt yourself, the self-destruction, but then when you lose someone you love, you you self-destruct anyway. So it's a battle. It's, It's a constant battle with how you feel and the emotions and what happens to everybody around you. Um... Not just that person. So um, I think about, I'm so sad. I felt abandoned, angry, and animosity. I was so hurt. Like, how could he not want to be here for, for me? It wasn't about me, you know? And that someone's in so much pain that they would take their own life. And I, I just think, wow, really? But I was there once. 
but I just couldn't do it the way he did. I didn't. There was no follow through, and so um, I want to express to people all the time that you don't even the. That one moment, reach out to someone. Take time. Take time to reach out. You don't even have to talk. You don't have to say anything. Just spend time with that person. Just spend a little while longer. It's very important to let someone know that they're loved, that they're cared for, that, that you want them in their life. Um, you never know. I, just today as we were coming here, I was reading a text message that last night a, a friend had sent me. And in a million years, I, this is a true story, in a million years you could have never told me this was possible. Yesterday I was having this moment of, you know, wow, God's told me to do this, but here's the devil. He's like, oh, well, you know, you've got all these other things to do. And God's like, no, you're really going to do this. So I make that ultimate decision. When I get in the car, I have a friend send me a message that said, you have no idea, but I need to tell you that you saved my life. And I'm going, what? And so I'm reading it further. And he goes, you remember the day that you called me last month? I had enough pills in front of me and alcohol to kill me, and I was about to take my life. But you reached out, and I did. That day I had a gut feeling. I saw his post. They were really sad, and I said, hey, are you all right? A few minutes later, hey, are you okay? I'm really worried. I just need you to send me back a just one-letter word, you know, just let me know. And um, and he did. And I kept sending music. I threw some, yeah, sending him Christian music yes. and, and just wanted him to know I loved him and I was thinking about him and I cared. And I, I had no idea. I had no idea. And it was so profound that God was kind of like, I told you so, Tylena, when I was battling. Like, I've got a million things to do, but I really know I need to do this too. So what's more important? Um, sending the message, spreading the word, letting people know that suicide has a tremendous impact on not just the person who's going to do it, but everybody around and how how it just sucks, you know, it takes everybody's life. You know, it doesn't, that, that doesn't end it. It takes everybody's life in one way or another. It's uh, hard to recover. Yeah, and I mean, there are times where people say that there had to have been a sign or how did I just not know? And um, a, a good friend of mine lost her brother to suicide mm-hmm. and she kind of always thought that it was going to happen, but she was always there and she blamed herself like I should have been there that day. I was supposed to go over there and she blames herself for it. Um, but there were multiple times that she had showed up at his house and he was about to. So mm-hmm. she just thought this one time I should have been there. And I mean, as far as your dad goes, if it's not too personal to ask, I mean, were there any signs? Did you have any sort of idea? Um Yes, there was. I, I knew kind of the week before, and I, and I reached out to some people and said, hey, this is happening, and I see these signs, only because I knew because of the seven years I had lived with suicidal tendencies. Um, nobody really wanted to hear that. Um, maybe thought I was a little crazy, but I knew what I was seeing. And so, you know, of course, I want to go home with him. I want to make sure he's okay. I want to make sure he eats. And uh, But I didn't go home with him that night. And he'd asked me to, you know, hey, come over to the house. And I was like, Dad, you know, you don't want to put up with, you know, me. I'm your alcoholic, drug addict. And daughter, I'm a handful. You've already got enough <laughs> in your, on your plate. So I didn't go. And, yes, I did feel with it. The, the guilt, the shame, I, I, I could have saved him. It was me, me, me. So, of course, that just fueled me into a spiral downwards immediately of um, I couldn't save him, and I, and I thought it was my responsibility. But there is signs. So there might not be signs sometimes, but there really is. And I mean, you know, you know when a person's hurting. You know when a person is not being their normal self. That's back. Yeah. And I mean, were, was your dad by himself? Was he living alone? Was your mom there? I mean, yeah, was my it dad, just him? He was by himself that night. And, and so, you know, in my mind, I think that people, 
I normally would have thought that someone does it in such a you know radical way of it just happens. No, it's very thought out. And when you know, like a therapist tells me, it's very thought out. They know what they're doing. They plan it out. I mean, very meticulous, and it, it's followed through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's that's the ones that that's when it really happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of thrown off by that because I promise you, if you'd said pick a thousand people on a list, he wouldn't even have been on it. Gosh, and that I don't know about you guys, but I have had chills this entire time. Yes. So everybody, stay tuned. We will be right back. This is Taylor on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, we are back with Women's Wednesday talking about some pretty touchy stuff here um, with Tylena, Zeke, and Frankie. So um, we were touching on, uh, before the break, the signs. And sometimes there are signs and sometimes there aren't. And I wanted to uh, share a story of um, a friend, a good friend of my mother's, who was... um, very happy with his work. He was a firefighter. Um, she had been friends with him since high school. She knew this guy from day one, it seemed like. And um, he had remarried, had two beautiful daughters. And I had actually spoke to him just a couple days before. I thought, I need to get to Nashville, Tennessee. That is where I want to be. And he said, I've got a guy that could hook you up with a job. We'll talk next week. And I was so looking forward to it. And he had actually, we had seen him because he had come over to help my mom move into her new house. And it was one night, they were all, um, him, him, his wife, and his two daughters were all at a campfire at their house. And the girls had gone in to go to bed. And his wife had gone in, and she was like, you know, are you coming in? And he said, no, just give me a few more minutes. I'll be out here a little bit longer, but I'll come in. So she had gone in, went to bed, and had woke up and realized, wait a minute, where, where is he? He's not here. So she went down by the fire. He wasn't there and walked back around and saw that the garage door had been closed. So when she went back in through the house, um, she found him um, hung in the garage. And after doing a lot of investigating on this, they realized he was almost living a completely second life um, with with drugs and and a lot of money um, going back and forth. So um, sometimes, I mean, some people do live that that double life, and and the people that you think you know and you think oh there there are no signs like this is the last person like you had mentioned Tylena like I never in a million years would have thought my dad would be on that list of a thousand and sometimes there just aren't signs so what what do you recommend I mean what what would you say to to those people that may never think that it could happen it's I mean what what are your thoughts um well as I was saying before I think that you definitely whether you meet someone you know each other an hour. You know each other your whole life. You can tell when someone's in pain. Mm-hmm. When someone you see sorrow in people, you see it. And I think it's about being compassionate and reaching out. It's important to let somebody know you're you're willing to talk. Call me at three o'clock in the morning. Three o'clock any time, any day with a Y in it. I'm here for you. It takes nothing but kindness. It costs nothing, zero for kindness, and to be compassionate. Um, 
you know, I wished I would have done that that night with my dad. Yeah, I'll come. I'm I'm high and I'm drunk, but I'm coming. <laughs> I wished I would have, but you know, I, I was thinking honestly, I was just thinking he doesn't want to babysit me, but he did reach out. He did ask yeah. me to come, and I lived with that guilt a really long time. And I just had to uh, recently. I just healed from that and told myself I can't carry this backpack with a thousand pounds all the time, thinking it's me, it's me, it's me. I should have done more. But, you know, I do know now. I, I, I should have went anyway, no matter what the circumstances. Um, can't change it now. But now I know that, that you know, it could have made a difference. And he did reach out. So you're going to get people who reach out. Or some people do it in anger. Like, get, get away. I want to be alone. I've, had, I've known someone who's committed suicide in that way, too. Um, you know, that's okay to give someone space. But, you know, hey, we don't have to talk all night. We could just sit in silence. We could watch a movie. Or I just want to be near you. You, you kind of know. And I, and I think in every circumstance, just be kind, mm-hmm. be compassionate, let someone know you're there for them, and be willing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, like you said, it could be somebody that you just meet, you have absolutely no idea what they're going through, mm-hmm. and sometimes all it takes is a smile. And right, that's for me. Like I, I'm always full of compliments. I don't care if I'm grabbing coffee and I see. You know, the lady in line behind me and her hair looks great and she shows that she put effort in. I'll be like, you know, your hair looks amazing. Right. Like, what, what products do you use? And just that yeah. little bit of that little compliment could go so far and you just, you really never exactly. know what somebody is going through. Um, now, you had mentioned that you had, had lived with that guilt for so many years. Yes. Um, what was it that really brought you to where you are right now, other than like the ministry and everything? Were there any other support groups? Because I feel like mm-hmm. there could be a lot of people listening that could be going through the same thing that you went through. Um, honestly, prison. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. Um Yes, yes, she said prison, guys. Yes, I did. She I went said to prison. prison. She doesn't did, look like it. Yeah, I did. Yes. I went to prison, and um, I spent 11 months, and it was a really hard time for me. And I remember getting to prison and thinking, how does a girl like me end up here? But I did. And um, so I'd already been sober for, for a year and a half, but now that I'm going to prison, I remember just kind of saying, God, you know, what, why? And he said, you know why. I've done everything I can with you. There's nothing more I could do, Tylena. So I said, all right. And I kind of just at that moment said, well, let's let's do this and let's heal me. I want to heal from the inside out. And I was willing and I was able. And I and I really, like, I had to self-examine myself. I had to tear myself apart and dig out all the cancer and restitch myself back up. And I, and I did that. And, you know, I, I chose not to take meds and sedate myself or, oh, I'm going to group therapy every day because I'm just never going to get my life right. I refuse to have that that victim. Yeah, I'm not going to have the victim mentality. I'm a warrior. I have survived all of this. God has greater plans for me. He has something else he wants me to do. And now I just need to be still and tell him, show me, show me, show me. And I did that, and I was willing. And, uh, and you know what? I kind of tell Frankie all the time, I'm so glad that... God loved me enough to give me four seasons to sit me down, to let me spend that time with myself and with him. And um, you'd think that you can't be still and, and hear him in prison, but you can really loud. And, um, and you know, and that was the thing is I, I took off that 1,000-pound backpack I was talking about. And I, where God says, you know, I'll, light, I'll lighten your load or strengthen your back, I honestly said, this is so heavy for me. I cannot do this anymore. I can't continually live with guilt and animosity and anger. It's tearing me apart. And... I just wanted to kind of be free of that. And the moment I asked, and I literally physically took it off and laid it down and just cried and said, please, 
and he did just that. He did just that, and he gave me the opportunity to start really healing and to realize that my dad loved me the best way he knew how. My dad was an amazing, amazing man, and whatever was going on, I couldn't have saved him. Nobody else could have saved him. His mind was made up, and that was that. And I miss him a lot, but um, I'm living, and I didn't, make, I didn't do that. And I surely don't want to leave my children behind to feel what it feels like to look and bury your parent at the gravesite. It's unbelievable. I never want my kids to have to feel that way. And no matter what, i only got to make it through 24 hours. No matter how hard this day may be, i only got to make it through today. There's always Tomorrow's another one. One day at a time. One day at a time. And I, and I have that opportunity if I choose not to do that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm glad I had that opportunity to really heal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, before our break, Frankie, you wanted to... Um, shed some light on that as well. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I just wanted to talk about because I, I I deal with and counsel a lot of people, you know, that are there, um, you know, that are at that place where they're thinking about suicide, and and I just want to encourage people, you know, answer the phone, answer the phone when somebody calls when they're down, you know. Um, the reason that I was able to take enough so that I was laying on the table and them not knowing if I was going to make it is because people didn't answer the phone. You know, they have this uh, this idea that, you know, these people are always, uh, you know, just complaining or unhappy or they're sad or, oh, that's them calling again. Well, that may be the time it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most people who are in that suicide mode make a call. Or reach out one last time. So pick up the phone. Pick up the phone, moms and dads. Pick up the phone, boyfriends, girlfriends. You don't have to get back together. But I know so many people who have went through a breakup and they sent a text or they called that person one last time. Answer that phone. Don't play those games. You know, it's life. Let that person know that we're not together today, but all of this is temporary. And if you're out there and you're thinking about this or you're thinking about doing something to yourself, know that this may feel like it's permanent. Any situation is that's hard may feel like it's permanent. feels like you're permanently broke, permanently stuck, permanently in jail, permanently in hell, whatever it is that you're going through, it feels permanent, but it's not. It's temporary. Like Tylena said, get through 24 hours. Sometimes I can only get through 10 minutes, and I get through that 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, you, you, that's all you got to do. And as far as knowing the signs, you know, I laid in the bed with Chad the day before he um, did that to himself, and he asked me to go to the courthouse and marry him because, um, you know, we were supposed to be getting married, and I wanted the real wedding, but I wanted to wait until after I had uh, Ryan, Chloe, our, our daughter now. Um, and so that those were some of the last words he said to me, and I didn't go, and I didn't know. Um, and so you don't know sometimes, but just love people the best that you can and, and talk to them. Like that lady not knowing her husband, she probably didn't know him because he was scared what she would think if he shared the truth. I share a lot of truths about myself that people would choose to hide. But my thing is, you know, if you want to dig up my skeletons, I'll give you the shovel. And it's because I don't care what people think, but most people do. So be that person that doesn't judge your friend, that doesn't judge your husband, that doesn't judge your, um, you know, your cousin or your sister or your brother. Don't judge people for their past and what they've done and mistakes that they may have made. Be that safe haven. I'm always that safe haven that people can come to. They can unload if they need to. And I'm not going to listen to them and sit in judgment, you know, and I'm only going to be go in as far as they need me to. But be that to people. Don't be the judge and jury. 
be that person that somebody can come to because none of us are perfect. And if you can be that to somebody and if you can be that safe haven to them or they have that, they're less likely to do it, especially our young people. Mm-hmm. Our young people, when you're a teenager, everything seems like it's, oh, oh my goodness, yeah. everything's going to fall apart. Oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to find another boyfriend. I'm never going right. to get another car. I'm never going to get another were rough. Holy cannoli. <laughs> so talk to your kids. Don't be so busy going to you know, do your own thing when you're 40 and 50 years old. Talk to your kids. Their life is more important than yours. Trust me, it is. Um, don't go be going to the bar at 40 or 50. You don't got no business there. Stay at home, chill with your kids. Hang out with them. Talk to them. I'm just real. I'm just real, right? I mean, come on. And, um, you know, chill with your kids. Talk to them. Know what's going on. Half of the parents that I know, you know, they're really well off, and they don't know what's going on with their kids. And I see kids, you know, we just helped a kid and kid just got 30 felonies Mm -hmm. you know parents super rich parents together but the parents are too busy going out and doing their own thing and having their own plans and their social schedule they don't even know what's going on with him until they get the call Mm -hmm. you know now he may be looking at prison so there's a lot of that going on a lot of suicide with our young people is because they do not have their parents here and let me tell you too parents and i'm going to tell you truthful on this one if you're doing drugs if you're out there in the life and your parents are with the grandma or with the aunt or with somebody else i want you to know they want you they do not want grandma they do not want their aunt they may be happy they may you may think they have a better life they want mom and they want dad so get off the drugs do what it takes to get the help you need and go be with your children you'll hate yourself forever if you don't Mm. Very true. Yeah, and yeah. and you had mentioned just to always answer the phone because you, you never know, and to make sure that you're always that that listening ear. Because I mean, I've I've talked and I've mentioned it on my show. My mother gave me the gift of gab, so I yeah. talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but something that I've I've always had to work on was was just listening, and not just listening, but being an active listener. Yes, and. I've been told so many times that I am like that person that people can just, they feel like they can talk to and they feel like they can trust. And, you know, I will never judge you. I will just observe and sit back and I'll listen. And I mean, sometimes that's, that's all people need. And you you just like, again, you never know if it's that, that 24 hours was the worst 24 hours and they just didn't think that they could get through another, but Um, We are going to take one more break, and uh, we're going to come back and talk with Zeke and hear more about his story. But, um, again, this is Taylor and America's Web Radio. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
All right. We are back, ladies and gents, on America's Web Radio. So um, I know that I am the host for Women's Wednesday, but we are fortunate enough today to not only have uh, Frankie and Tylena, but we do have Zeke in here today as well. And would love to obviously hear more about your story, Zeke. It's from what I've been told, a pretty remarkable story. Mm-hmm. So um, want to give you the mic and just be able to share, you know, over the last few years what you've encountered. Yeah. Um, so I just, the scripture, like, came to me. So I want to, like, preface it with um, Matthew seven twenty Um It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall, because it had had its foundation on the rock. Um, And that's kind of the way that my life uh, in the past had been. Um, At 19... I was raised in a very, very strong uh, religious household. Um, We used to knock on doors. And at 19, I I was so sheltered that I wanted freedom of my own. So my mother, like, put me out. And I went in. She sent me to New York uh, to live with my dad. I sold cocaine, came back to Louisville, Kentucky, was houseless for about two years, and got arrested a couple, three times. And then I had my, my God moment where I realized that God was real. But then I wanted to find out. Um, as I went back to that religion, I saw the head, um, this mental structure, this hot head, head high. But I didn't have the heart connection with God. And... Um, so that led me out of that religious program. And whenever I did that, everything fell. Everything collapsed. Me and my mother, who was my, my rock, my best friend, you know, our relationship had to stop. No communication with her. I was basically excommunicated. And then my job, my house, or my apartment, my car everything wreck no job now no apartment and i was i was in pain um i actually this whole talk about suicide got me thinking about that one time um i was i'm a dancer so but given that state of mind of not having anything you start emitting these vibes of he's lacking whatever and I just didn't feel like I had anyone to go to Uh, so I was I remember walking down this street in Louisville Kentucky next to Bartstown Road and I saw these cars and I was just like I'm ready and at that moment like I went to jump in front of this car and I felt like in this like stop and I I crawled the rest of the way I crawled to this bar I was in tears I still didn't didn't know what I was going to do some time went by I went to Austin, Texas 
um, and I had a great transformation in my life. I found this spiritual path that I needed at that time. Uh, I practiced Buddhism, and they're like, "Everything's within you. You need to you need to do something." <laughs> so I think that was like the start of digging into this rock mass and saying, "You have to. I have to change this." I have to change this. So I was digging into this rock to build this foundation. And I went from being outside in the cold to moving to different houses, but not having a consistent house, to living outside, going from a mattress about a, an inch and a half thick to having three certain mattresses, <laughs> a made-up bed, cooking. I got my culinary degree. Um... So I was cooking for uh, this Methodist church, First Methodist in Tampa, Florida. Um, I would walk with these trays of food about a mile and a half from the church back to Ybor City to feed the houseless because you always have something to give. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just felt that calling like, these people are not able to walk down two miles to the Methodist church to eat. They're hungry, and I have this access to food, so take it to them. Um, and then I found myself in Atlanta, and this is when I met Minister Frankie. It was like, boom, we must be brothers and sisters or something. <laughs> and um, it was a new mission that started calling me. Uh, this mission of really helping uh, it ain't about me it's about God's light shining through me um, and assisting others with what I have Um, so this year I had this really interesting shift of um, like God wants you. It's you don't need you don't. Buddhism was good, but Christ has called you. So now, um, I moved into this new space here in Dawsonville, um, working a steady job. Uh, I'm building my brand, the Dancing Chef, mm-hmm. and. Um, just witnessing new and profound miracles every day. Today we're going out to the uh, to the bluff uh, to follow this mission, and I, I think we're all relentless. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, yeah. Wow. And, I mean, we, we had touched on it before, but I noticed that, Zeke, you never said homeless. You used houseless. Yeah. Now, why, why is that? Uh, I, when I was in Louisville, I ran into these hippie travelers. <laughs> and uh, one of the girls, she was like, don't say homeless. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, you always, you always have a home. You might, the condition of being without a house, you know, is one thing. But you're never homeless. So uh, I never identified with homelessness after that. It was, yeah, I'm in this current space. 
but there is a house or something coming and now I'm in I'm in a house I went from living sleeping on the couch to being in my own room mm-hmm. um, and more greater things so yeah Sorry. It's almost this, this sense of home is something that's inside of you. It's not something that's physical. And, I mean, at no point in my life have I been homeless or houseless, I should say. Um, but, I mean, I will admit my parents went through an incredibly ugly divorce. And um, being in the house that we had lived in, it never really felt like home for, for a long time. And home for me was actually um, my grandparents' house. It was my mom's parents, and that was like our safe haven. So um, when I think of, of home, it's, I mean, it's it's Holt, Michigan for me. And now, um, even though my grandparents are, are no longer together after 51 years, um, that's a whole other story that I may end up getting into a different day, but uh, it's, it's still home. It's may not. They may not have that house anymore. My dad is thinking about getting rid of of the house that I grew up in, but it's it's with family. That's that's mm-hmm. home. It's with the people that you care about and and the people that you surround yourself with. So, mm-hmm. which I love, and it's it's great. You guys are making me emotional. My last like couple shows, <laughs> I've been on the verge of tears over here. Goodness. So to make light of oh, a couple Friday. things, in that case, Zeke, you mentioned that you have a culinary degree mm-hmm. now. I'm a foodie. I love me some food. Mm. What is your favorite thing to cook? Mm. We had this conversation <laughs> earlier. <laughs> um, so I, it's hard to ask a culinarian, like, what's your favorite? Because any ingredient can be spun and played with. Um, I love Italian fried chicken. Um, this is Italian <laughs> fried chicken. Yeah. I so, love it. Uh, hmm. This is where you... Uh, you take the mallet to the chicken, you thin it out, you throw it in a brine of salt and sugar, and then you bread it, um, and then you fry it, or pan fry it. Um, and then, like fettuccine, of course, I love with, you know, good shiitake mushrooms and pancetta, you know, and some cream, some mm-hmm. butter, parmigiano-reggiano. Um, but I also love the roots, like Trinidadian food, um, you know, cooking with um, sugar, ketchup, a little soy sauce, curry, let that cook, um, add in your onions, your bell peppers, you know, some chicken. Your yeah. accent's definitely coming. <laughs> You're talking about this. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I have not eaten today, so I am starving now. So thank you very much. Um, I traveled to Italy last April and Ooh. ate my way around Italy. Mm. Like, it was incredible. When they, when they say, stay away from the pastas and all the carbs, yeah. you what? will They're walk not. all of it off. <laughs> I promise you. I walked Rome, and it was 13 miles one wow. day. So anybody that's thinking about going to Italy... Mm gotta go eat mm. just eat everything don't worry about the gelato just eat oh, it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now before we wrap up i'm um, getting back to our nitty-gritty of today's show now for those that may not be religious or they they came from a different religious background like like zeke for instance or they're just not really sure what sort of advice would you give them because I feel like with, with certain religions, there are certain types of people that like to just push that on certain people. And a lot of the time, if you don't agree with what they 
they have in their in their beliefs, then they just completely write you off. So, what what are your thoughts there, Frankie? What what would you say? Well, I think that we are supposed to again shine His light. We're supposed to be a beacon on the hill. We're supposed to be a place that people can go in that safe haven. I never push my beliefs on people. I just merely talk about my experience and I and people being around me. Zeke, I knew Zeke for probably about three years, and he was at the Atlanta Recovery Center where I did some of my first ministry work and would go there and it's a transition center in Atlanta and he was Buddhist and that was cool you know we all hung out we all you know he would still come and do some street ministry with us or whatever but in hanging out and being around me you really can't get uh, get away from the fact that Christ exists that he lives that he is and that I want some of that so usually people end up coming to me I want what you've got what what is it that you've tapped into? Um, I want some of that. And what you know, what fountain are you drinking from? And so you know, Zeke ended up coming to me, and I didn't force it, or I don't ask anybody, and they they just come to me. I offer it. Today's a good day to get saved, yeah. people. <laughs> it's incredible. Yes. Well, thank you so much for for being a part of the show and. Bless all of your hearts. This is, I mean, that's such a Southern thing. And now that I'm in Georgia, I feel like uh, after two years, I can say it. So I really appreciate you guys all coming in. And if there's um, any way people can can help out or become part of this or even, you know, meet you out at different places, um, how do they find out? Yes, so check us out, and we can use donations. We can use um, bodies and money, volunteers, donations of any sort, www.shinehislightministry.com or Frankie Holbrook on Facebook, F-R-A-N-K-I-E-H-O-L-B-R-O-O-K, and Google that, and you'll find all kind of stuff fantastic well again thank you so much for coming in and we are going to sign off so again my name is taylor this is women's wednesday on america's web radio you're listening to america's web radio online thanks for tuning in